is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to Be You Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Hey friends, many of you have been listening since we launched about six months ago and some of you are just finding us and some of you are listening to this episode because of the very, very polarizing and triggering title. Maybe a friend sent this to you. Maybe someone sent this to you because they know that you also are carrying grief. Maybe they sent this to you because they were triggered and they want your opinion on it. Either way, thank you for being here. Thank you for being willing to listen. As with every single podcast. I don't make the assumption that I'm right and others are wrong. I've worked really hard. I still get stuck there sometimes, but I've worked really hard to not play that game anymore of even believing that there is a right or wrong way of thinking. I do my very best to honor my own heart, what I feel is my word, my integrity, and my truth, and allowing others to do the same and disagreeing while still honoring the journey of other people. And I hope you're willing to do that as well. What is my goal with this episode? It's interesting. So I have a new favorite podcast by Cal Callahan. And I think it's called The Great Unlearn. But if you look up Cal Callahan and unlearn, you'll find it. It's amazing. It's not for everybody, but it's my new favorite for sure. And I heard him quoting someone else as I was driving here. And it feels very appropriate to say this. The person he quoted, and I don't know who they are, said something like, I don't know where I'm going, but I know how I'm getting there. And that's what I would say my intention is with this. I have no idea what this is going to turn into, but I know that right now this is the right move. And every word that comes out of my mouth and that's released from me is the next right choice and the next right word. And I have no idea the destination, but I know for sure I'm supposed to share this. I don't have any notes in front of me. I have no plan of what I'm going to say other than making the decision besides just being very raw and just so honest about this experience and coming from a place of love with zero judgment, by the way. I also made the decision right before starting, you know what? I'm going to share with the BU listeners an excerpt from a chapter of a book that isn't even birthed yet and isn't even close to being birthed. It will go through many filters and edits, I'm sure, and it may not sound anything like it's going to sound today. And it's long, but I'm going to read it to you. Because when I wrote that, it could not have felt more true and more real. 
So I'm going to share that with you. In fact, why don't I start with that? All right? So I'm going to start by reading this to you. The book that I feel is being written is called Bad Mother, as in she's a bad motherfucker, as in a lot of us feel like we're bad mothers, but we're not. It was the last time I would allow a man to write my story. His voice would never matter more than mine, and I would never again play victim so that he could heroically live out his role as rescuer. Prince Charming no longer had his lady in distress. I terminated our contract without his consent. Game over. The raindrops created a mosaic of unpredictable beauty as they hit the glass, and the soothing sound of the blades swishing back and forth became a metronome matching the beating heart of my precious son. He was no longer in my womb, but our hearts were speaking in a secret language, a sacred language, created by the angels, one that this asshole next to me couldn't decipher even with his impressive IQ and perfect English SAT score. I wondered if the angels were crying with me and all of God's creation was grieving with me as I sat in silence without a single tear emerging from my own eyes. Perhaps they were crying tears of joy as they witnessed my rebirth and the simultaneous death of the girl who lived for everyone but herself. We stand witness to your pain and we cry with you and for you, and your son is now once again among us. We love you, sweet girl. You were chosen for a reason. One day you'll understand the true meaning of all these tears. It's okay, Mama. I'm not hurting. I'm with God, and I'm still with you. I knew I couldn't stay. I was there to help you cut the cord from him, and it happened just as the doctor cut the cord that connected us. And it's done. You're free, Mommy. The soul tie is no more. The shackles of obligation are off. You can run. You can fly. This chapter has ended. He no longer has control over you. You are reborn as am I, right now, this moment. I love you. I forgive you. That was the last time I heard his voice for 20 years. When we got back to my boyfriend's fraternity room, the physical pain set in. I walked to his bed and tried to escape what we had just done. He was completely unscathed, relieved in fact, sleeping peacefully as I suffered. Rage took over my body, and I sat up and cried out, I want it back. Why did we do this? I sobbed, and I sobbed. The ache pulled from a part of me I hadn't felt since I was a child, a deep, dark ache of despair. I started hitting him. He shoved me off the bed, and as I hit the floor, I felt as discarded as the child we just murdered. Unwanted, a burden, unworthy. He fell fast asleep again, and I killed him in my mind. I made him suffer, and I enjoyed it. That version of me was the strength I was afraid to own. She was the version of me that danced on the first dance, dated cute boys, not just safe boys, but didn't need them or want them around for long because she was too alive with creating, with connecting with girlfriends and learning. She was fierce, powerful, joyful, and free. She was the one I couldn't summon. She only lived in my dreams. Goddess Jill. 
Within a few days, my fever set in. Full body aches and chills that shook me. I hitched a ride home with a boy I barely knew. I was certain I was never going back. I hadn't connected the fever with the abortion because I was 20 and clueless. But looking back, there was zero chance of me not getting an infection in that dump. It was not my first choice. Well, none of it was my choice. I was a puppet, an actor, a chameleon. I played the part of the good girl who did what she was supposed to do and what she was told to do, and who made the people around her happy, at all costs. I called him the little professor. Completely self-absorbed, highly insecure, oddly intelligent, not my type at all, and my boyfriend of four years. My puppeteer. His obsession with me was like that of a serial killer, and I the captured woman being drugged and dressed up in whatever costume pleased the maniac that day. I was his soulmate, he said, and I obliged. And I needed his love as much as I feared losing it. This, while I hated that I chose him. The day I took the pregnancy test in the university clinic, I walked out stunned. Total disbelief. I'm what? How did I let this happen? I can barely take care of myself. I'm a lost child. As I crossed the street, I nearly walked right into a nun, brown habit, and a smile that felt like the sigh you let out when your grandmother holds you close. She said, Are you okay, sweetheart? I told her the news. I told her that I would give the baby up for adoption. She was pleased. So was I. Then the long walk back to my dorm. How will I tell him? The response was in line with what he was capable of. Doing the best he knew how to do. His manual was flawed, but he read from it brilliantly. I'll never get into grad school. You cannot do this. My parents will lose it. We aren't doing this. I protested as much as I did every time he told me we were going to have sex. He was pleased. It was my job to make him happy. Good girl. That's how we do it. A week later, we drove to a clinic I found in the Yellow Pages. It was a sterile, very welcoming hospital setting. The nurses were kind. They had, we forgive you, oozing from their pores. Angels. I felt safe, loved, and I had no more fear. Then after the medication was administered, I began to feel really weird. The nurse said, I am sorry, honey, but we can't do this today. You're reacting to the medication and it's not safe. I felt relieved. I am? Oh, oh, I am. Good. So I don't have to do this. I'm good with that. After a week, I had to go to the ER because of an excruciating pain on my left side. As we drove to the hospital an hour away, I was vomiting in a brown paper bag He said, almost in amazement and in a disgustingly proud, arrogant way, you really are pregnant, aren't you? His virileness was proven. Happy to oblige, Professor. As the doctor entered the room, he said, your baby is fine, Jill. It's just a small ovarian cyst. My what? What did he just say? The nun and this doctor gave me the same feeling, the sign. Love in the form of humans. Thank you. As I looked straight into the eyes of the man-child who decided our future, there was nothing. 
love from the stranger like I never felt with this self-obsessed prodigy. I was drawn to the doctor like I was pulled in by the nun. A path beckoning me. Is this what it feels like when we die? Is this the light we walk toward? A big ball of love energy? It's warm, safe. Same as the nurse at the hospital. They're all working together, aren't they? Angels, messengers, teachers, guides. Yet the cold, dark path of fear is what got me. That was the way the professor wanted to go. And I obliged, and he was pleased. Good girl. This time he chose the place. We drove in the rain, and I felt myself about to walk the plank. Die or die? What do you choose? Death. I choose death. Hey, I'm just going to drop you off and go over to the mall, okay? Okay. As I crept out of the car, they saw me. Adults holding signs and screaming, Baby killer! The photos were of miniature babies. Shiny skin. Big black eyes not yet opened. Body parts. Blood. They chanted and pointed, Don't do it! And as I got across the parking lot that felt like the length of a football field, a young woman walked up with an umbrella and said, Ignore them. They are not speaking for all Christians. Jesus doesn't teach hate and judgment. I've got you, honey. I'll protect you. We walked up the steps and I got to the plank. Death or death. I choose death. I'm used to it. The clinic smelled musty, but not that comforting musty smell of an old lived-in lake cottage. This was more like a smell of regret, sadness, stale pain. I wanted my mommy, I thought. Please don't make me do this, please. As I signed in, I asked the woman at the desk, don't you have information on other options like adoption in case someone changes their mind? She stared at me through her thick, outdated, mauve plastic framed lenses and said, honey, this is an abortion clinic, not social services. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Where do I sign? I smiled at her and swallowed my sadness. Two more steps down the plank. Death or death? Okay. I choose death. I was in the bottom of the ship with the others waiting to walk. We were packed in, our energies bumping up against one another, a sisterhood like nothing I had ever seen. Supposedly connected as one, but stapled together in a mismatched pattern by the expectations and demands of every man on earth that ever lived. Our power escaped us, unacknowledged, only alive in dreams. We chose the death of ourselves so that men could live, and all of us are good girls. Yes, sir. Thank you. I'm fine. It's okay. No, I'm not hungry. Whatever you think. I'm sorry. What was I thinking? Go ahead. Yes, that feels good. That feels so good. Jill? Oh my God, it's my turn. My body stood up. My heart screamed for it to stop. Ten more steps and I was almost to the end. My hands were trembling, my chest tightened, my neck covered in red patches and my ears ringing. I had cotton in my mouth. I know this feeling. 
I have felt this before, and I don't like it. Mommy. Someone. God? Anyone? I didn't get the privilege of an exam room. There was merely a divider between my plank and the others. We were all sharing the same oxygen, the same tears. Perhaps we weren't as disconnected as I thought. Then he entered. The doctor was as appealing to look at as the villain in every movie I had ever seen. Bulging eyes, big furry eyebrows, long, greasy, thinning hair swept over in an attempt to fool himself into thinking he wasn't bald. Lay back. The pain that came next was excruciating. It was familiar. The wounds and wombs of every woman in my ancestry and of this world screamed in pain as he ripped this precious life from me. Loud. Rough. Unapologetic. Hold her still, he told the nurse. Her dark brown skin glistened, and her smile pierced my heart and then held it. You're okay, honey. I got you, but you got to be quiet, okay? She whispered. But I'm not okay, and she knows it. I am not okay. He's murdering my baby, and I am letting him. Dear God, how did I get here? Mommy. I want to go back. I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Please, God, bring him back. And then nothing. The silence swooped in like thunder inside of my skull, and it roared. The man with the bulging eyes didn't even look at me. Do I thank him? Apologize? Defend my goodness? That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell him that I'm not a bad person. I'm good. I made a mistake. He just got up and walked away. On to the next. Was I even human to him? Am I human? Where's my baby? Oh God, is he in that tube? Put him back. Please, please put him back. The recovery room was one shared by many. Like a sleepover that no girl wants an invite to. The energy was new, odd, unfamiliar. I aged years as I sipped on my juice and pretended that my heart wasn't shattered. Because of that brief dip into a new pool of sisterhood, I am wiser somehow. The women sitting in the recliners near me were my sisters now, and we were bonded by the forgiveness we sought and the shame we accepted. This is your first one, isn't it? She smiled. Covered in tattoos, wrinkled skin, and a life I was afraid to ask about, she said, It's my seventh. You'll get used to it. After that, I ate my packaged cookie and drank my juice and pretended I was in preschool during nap time. As I looked down at the sad, old blanket covering my lower half, I noticed it was an afghan. It was full of holes, yet carefully pieced together. Just like me. It couldn't possibly keep me warm, and it smelled of must and loss. But I was grateful. I loved it. It was just fine. Good girl. Although I was given the option to forgive myself and choose love in the form of a permission slip written by the baby boy I lost, I chose instead to dive headfirst into an abyss of grief, 
fear, guilt, shame, and torture. My regret and guilt haunted me for two decades. I think I was searching for him there, but I only found more pain, more nothingness. The deeper I sank, the further I got from him because he didn't live in my fear. He lived with God, and the only way for me to find him was to find God and love, peace, and joy. But I didn't go looking there. I willingly drowned myself in the sea of regret and self-loathing. It became my new home. The pain had a new source, but it felt so comfy and cozy, like a perfectly warm pair of old slippers. Oh, this is how I felt as little Jill. I remember now. I think I'll play it safe and stay a while. Although I did all the happy things like date boys, go to parties, experiment with fashion, and discover life beyond the professor, it was all under a cloud of heavy, dark, dismal agony. I hated myself for what I did, but I pretended to move on. I was a fake and a liar, a murderer, a victim, a villain. I was the good girl who did something unforgivable. I wore this like a robe and put on a mask of happy and went searching for my next rescuer. So, (laughs) that obviously was not light. I have not read that in months. I wrote that actually, I think about a year ago. And as I was just reading it now, and I did no prep work, I, I literally read it now with you for the first time since then intentionally. And... It's interesting because when I partnered with Scribe to help me write and publish the book that I told you was coming, Tucker Max had the most brilliant advice, and he said, make sure you are writing from your scars and not from your wounds. And that's one reason I stopped writing the book. I had to do the work that I'm doing now to heal because they were gaping wounds. There were not even scabs, let alone scars. And that's why, you know, the book is on pause as I'm continuing to heal. Not just from that experience, but just from lots and lots of trauma in my life. I mean, we could spin this off into 10 episodes and hours and hours even just on this episode, because as you heard, it wasn't just about terminating that pregnancy. It was about how did I even get there? Why did the pain that I felt feel familiar? When I said this is how little Jill felt, why in that moment of pain and agony and regret and just self-loathing, why did that feel so familiar to me? And why why did I feel that way as a child? Where did that come from? And when I said I had the choice to forgive myself and to heal from that, but I chose not to, it's like I thought that the child that I lost was somehow living in my pain. Who was I to go on and have a happy life after that? So the only connection I felt that I had, and I keep saying him, and you might wonder, how would I know that? I just know. I know in my heart that it was a boy. I'm certain of it. I was certain even back then. But who was I to go on and have a happy life? And I felt like the only way to stay connected to him was to live in grief. Now, grief can be good as long as you move through it. No one should judge grieving, but I'm not talking about healthy grief. I'm talking about feeling every day that I was a really bad person because I'd done something so bad. And so even though I went on to have children and 
you know, everything on the outside looked so happy. I really was haunted for 20 years. For some reason, every time I took a shower, I would sob and cry. And that's the only time I could really connect with him. I've learned since that being in water for many people is a connection to our intuition and to messages and to angels and to our highest self. But it was only in the water. It's like the water had that conduction where I could feel and hear him and talk to him. And even though I would cry and say how sorry I was, it never got better. So that pain was living in me and with me for so long. And then I finally made the decision with help that it was time to let go. It was time to forgive myself. And it was time to start living my life without that mark on me of bad. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I talked in that excerpt about being a good girl. And we've talked about that on BU before, about how so many of us, and I think in in one of the last episodes, I talked about kissing a boy or kissing a man at the end of the night because you don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to be rude. You don't know how to say, yeah, I didn't really have a good time. I'm not attracted to you. So we just do a quick kiss just to get over with because we're being good girls. And you heard me talking about being a good girl. The ironic thing is that as soon as I had the abortion, I played the good girl. I continued to do that while feeling like I was such a bad person at the core. And I really never felt like that before that. I have a lot of pain and stories that I was seeing the world through because of things that happened when I was a child, but I've never felt like I was bad until that. And I was 20 years old when I had the abortion. I'm now 49, so I would, I would have a 29-year-old child. I also want to be clear that I know I definitely, it had a tone of, I did this awful thing, but also I'm a victim. But that's how I felt. I felt like both were true. I felt 100% like I was manipulated into making that decision. I was guilted into it. I was not strong enough to say no. I wasn't strong enough to say, I will not do this. This is my body, and I'm choosing to have this baby and give it to a family who's looking for a child. And that's okay. You know, I have forgiven myself for not being there. And this is why I feel so strongly about this work that we keep talking about of excavating the real us and healing that trauma and really looking at what triggers us and why we people please, et cetera. I'm even more passionate about it today than I was yesterday. Because think about it. If my parents had done that, I would have had a different childhood. If I had done that, even once I got to college, that event never would have happened because I never would have been having sex. Now, there's nothing wrong with people having sex, but I wasn't ready. I didn't want to. There was nothing in me that wanted to be having intercourse. I did it to be the good girl, which is ironic, isn't it? Good girl. But to please. I had a boy that I felt I needed in my life. I felt that I had no one else. I was broken. I felt I was broken and so insecure and so desperate for love and attention. And my parents were in a place where they just were not focused on me at all. And so it was like a perfect storm. And so I attracted someone who was completely obsessed with me. I believe unstable. And it was quite 
an unhealthy, toxic, toxic, toxic relationship. It started off beautiful and it just got really bad really fast. So I own the decision that I made and I also own the truth that I never would have made that decision if I had loved myself and truly seen myself as a worthy human because I never would have even been in that situation. That can be, you know, and I think it should be a whole different episode. We should talk about women even who are married, who are having intercourse when they don't want to. But women who are young women and girls are losing their virginity and having sex when they don't want to because they think they have to to get the guy and to keep the guy. And that's so sad. It's so twisted. That was 100% my existence. And I admit I have not done the work that I will do to forgive the person I talked about, the boyfriend I call the the professor. (laughs) I have a lot, a lot, a lot of pain around that relationship and a lot of forgiveness that I need to choose. And I haven't done that yet. So that's another way that they say, don't write in, also we should say, don't live through your wounds, but instead from your scars. That's probably one of the edits that will come is once I do forgive that person, I bet what I read to you will have a different sound. And both versions will be true. So there are a lot of women, a lot of women who are single, a lot of women who are married, a lot of women who have children, and they have had abortions. And no one talks about it. There's no place for us There's no place for us to connect with each other and say, yeah, me too. Now, I shouldn't say that. I'm sure there are organizations out there who provide sort of counseling and therapy and healing for women who have had abortions. I guess what I'm saying is it's not mainstream. It's just one of those dirty secrets that no one talks about. And I bet that if you looked left and you looked right, I bet you have a friend on either side of you, on both sides of you, who at some point in her life chose abortion. I also want to be really careful, and this isn't me being PC. I'm just, I'm just not a fan of being politically correct just to be politically correct. You know, I really um, just do not, the whole cancel culture and what's going on in this world just drives me bonkers. Everyone afraid to say how they really feel because then you'll be canceled and you'll be banned and you'll be told you're a bad person. And I'm saying this because I, I believe this. If you're someone who is against abortion, please do not use my story as ammunition against others. If you're someone who is pro-choice, please do not allow my truth and my experience to make you feel that I'm saying that you're wrong. I hope we get to the point where we can honor the journey of other people while honoring ourselves and our own truth and let both be true at the same time. That's what I'm inviting you to do with this. So the, the pain that I carried, you know, after I chose to forgive myself, and my gosh, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I did a lot of work on that. I actually, you know, like spoke to this baby and told him how sorry I was. And you may think this is weird and kooky and woo-woo and all that, and that's okay. And I'm certain that I heard a message from him, not audibly, but just in my awareness. And if you're someone who has experienced abortion and you do have this pain, and some people don't. I mean, I have a good friend who told me that she had an abortion 
in college and she thinks it was the best decision she ever made and she just didn't have any emotional attachment to it and no regret and that was it. Obviously, that wasn't my experience. For me, once I chose to forgive myself, that's when I finally felt truly close to this soul that I forced out of me. As I said, I kept looking for this child in the sadness and in the grief and in the regret. I thought that's where I would find him, but I also felt that's where I was only allowed to find him. And think about this for other parts of your life. When I chose to forgive myself and love myself through this and say, you're still a really good person and it's okay, that's when I felt such a deep and profound connection to that soul that I once was able to call my child. And I talked to him really often. Just today I did. I asked him to be with me during this episode. I asked him to share truth through me into this microphone. I asked him to hold my hand. And on one hand, I picture that little fetus, but I also picture a 29-year-old man who I'll not meet until I pass on. There are so many different beliefs, you know, and how do we know who's really correct, right? But um, I did speak to an intuitive a few months ago who told me that babies who, are, who miscarry and who are aborted actually come through in the form of another child of yours. And whether you believe that or not, I believe that because I always, always, always felt like he came through as George, my youngest. I get teased and my other kids actually get quite annoyed that I seem to treat George differently and I have this extra special, I mean, there's no more love for George than I have for the other kids, but there is a, there is a special bond that I cannot explain that comes from a place I've never seen. And it's this understanding that he and I have that is unspoken. And now that he's 16, when he was about, I think he was 14, I think the kids were 14, 17, and 20 when I told them about the abortion. And actually, yes, it was, when, okay, here's another spin of, to the story. When my oldest became pregnant unexpectedly, by the way, at 20 years old, by the way, she found out the exact week that I found out I was pregnant when I was 20. Tell me that's a coincidence. Tell me that's a coincidence. And when I say this, I am not judging anyone who chooses to terminate a pregnancy. I promise you, that's not who I am. And I'm going to tell you what she said. I said to her, what are you going to do? You know, there are three options, adoption, termination, or keeping this child and growing up really, really fast. And she said, well, I know one thing. I'm not going to kill this baby because I was irresponsible. I don't know what kind of person would do that. And then I cried and told her, I can tell you what kind of person. Me. <laughs> so that's when I told her the truth. I told the other kids. And um, when I told George, my youngest, who is so empathic, he ran down the stairs. Let me be clear. He was only a few stairs away from me, <laughs> a few steps away. And he like jumped down the stairs real quick and just 
hugged me and held me, said, it's okay, mommy. It's okay, mom. It's okay. It's okay. You're not a bad person. It's okay. And about six months ago or so, whenever it was that I had the intuitive tell me that, I looked at George and said, you know what she told me? And he looked at me and he said, it's me, mom. I said, do you think so? And he said, I know so. I've always felt like there was something different about our relationship. Like it's something I didn't understand. And I said, yeah, me too. It felt like from a different world. And he said, now that you say this, I know that's what it is. I think he's me. I think I'm him. So, (laughs) now you know a lot more about me than you knew when you started listening to Be You. And I want to be careful, too. I, I think it's important for all of us, you and I, to understand the difference between vulnerability and oversharing. I spent years as an oversharer. And that's when, from a place of wounding, we dump stuff onto other people. And we do that to connect, to bond, to be rescued, to be seen, to be loved, etc. And I did that for years and years and years and years. And what I'm sharing today is absolutely, in my book, not oversharing. It's going to, I know it's made many of you uncomfortable, and that's okay. But I shared it because I am certain that there are women out there who are going to hear this and say, oh my gosh, I have the same story. I know how that feels. And there are women hearing this saying, I need to forgive myself. Some of you still are living in that pool of regret and pain and shame. And I'm telling you, there's a beautiful life on the other side of forgiving yourself. That child does not want you to stop living in their honor. That child, if he or she could speak to you, would say, you're already forgiven. It's okay. For a reason you don't understand, I wasn't meant to be on earth with you. But I'm still with you. And I know it's such a heated topic. And I know it is just such a, there's so much charge around the word abortion. I mean, I can hardly even say it without getting charged. I mean, it's just, you're either this or you're that. And there's just nothing in between. And there's no explanation that will cause anyone to give you any type of grace or space to be yourself. And I'm saying it doesn't have to be that way. I know that for me, it felt like a very wrong, unhealthy decision. And for whatever reason, I was meant to make it anyway. And maybe one of the reasons it happened was for me to say to you that you're such a good human and that you have already been forgiven and that it's all okay. I do think that even though that decision is a decision that some women want to make, they want to be able to make that choice and not have the government telling them what they have to do with their own fetus, their own baby, their own child, their own womb, their own body. And I actually get that. We can hear each other and really get each other and empathize even if we don't agree Because that's what love's about, isn't it? Isn't that what being a human is? I see you. Yes, I get that. I feel that. I don't have to agree to love another human. 
through their opinion and their experience on a very heated and emotionally charged topic. And you don't have to either. My experience was brutal. It was brutal, physically brutal, emotionally brutal. I think I had what people would say now is a nervous breakdown. That's why I quit college. I was at a very well-respected, small liberal arts school in Indiana. And after this incident, I completely broke emotionally. I was having panic attacks. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't stop crying. After I was physically sick, which by the way, I did get an infection and had to go to the hospital and have IV antibiotics when I got home and took the rest of the semester off. And then I just never went back because I was so, it triggered, it triggered trauma from my childhood that I had not even faced. It was a traumatic experience. And there's something called medical trauma. And that experience in the abortion clinic was 100% trauma. The way it was handled, not just how I felt about the decision, but the way I was handled, the way I was treated like just an object, a dirty, discarded object. The women in the waiting room, several of them I think were probably prostitutes. It was a very dark, dingy, dirty, sad place as I described. And there are many places that are not that. As I told you, the first place I visited was a beautiful outpatient hospital facility. But I wasn't meant to have that experience. I was meant to be in this slummy place. Maybe it's for my book. I don't know. But it was meant to happen that way. And I want you to know that if if you made the decision to end a pregnancy, I am not judging you, nor should anyone else. I am loving you. Right now, I'm loving you. And I'm not loving you in a condescending, patronizing, oh, it's okay, kind of a way. I'm loving you out of respect, woman to woman. And I see you no differently. And if I do see you differently, which many women do, that's my problem. If you're someone who's judging women who are pro-choice, or some people call pro-abortion, or they've had abortions, or they confidently say, I think women should be able to. If you judge them for that, rather than loving them while disagreeing, how is that okay? And how is that better than the quote-unquote sin you judge them for? I'm not the expert on this. You know, I'm not going to go through a series of what ifs. Like, what would you tell your children? What you, I, that's not my place on this podcast. I want to focus on be you. I want to focus on us as women finding us and finally choosing to unbecome and unlearn everything out there in society and life so that we can follow our true north, our true path, whatever that is, without apology, without justification, without explanation, with confident shoulders back, chin up, even if it pisses people off, even if they don't understand, even if it confuses people, even if it polarizes and triggers people, even, yes, 100%. So, Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for allowing me to go to a place that I didn't plan to go to. I didn't even think I was going to talk about this experience on this podcast until next year. And I have about 15 different topics in the notes section of my phone that are inspiring to me. And this wasn't on there. 
And I sat down and I just asked God, okay, what should I talk about today? And I was looking at my list and I thought, oh God, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, I don't want to. And I sent a text to my friend, Christy. We were texting earlier and I said, you're not going to believe what I'm going to do. Here goes. And I told her that when I started crying, that's when I knew I was supposed to do it. So we talk about following our intuition and everything I advise you to do, not that I get to tell you what to do, but I feel like I'm a student and a teacher here, right? And a coach. And anything I suggest is something that I'm willing to do myself. And so it was scary as hell to do this. I knew I would be judged. I know there are people who will judge me. I know there are people who go, well, well, wait, hold on a second. Is she pro-choice or is she pro-life? Which is she? Because I need the answer because they need evidence to decide whether or not they like me anymore. (laughs) And I still felt God say to me, go, press record, and I will tell you what to say. So I want to say thank you for holding space, as they say, holding a safe container for me, whether you know you did or not so that I could be me. I love you so much. And guess what? We are finally on the gram. So here we are on Instagram. It's B-U podcast underscore. So B-E-Y-O-U podcast underscore. So if you would join there and follow us and share our content, that would be so great. I will be active in the IG story. And although I'm on a social media hiatus, the podcast is not. So um, we are doing that. And um, we've got one, two, three, four, just, just five posts, but we'll be posting every week what the episodes are and something about the episodes. And then in the story, I'm going to be talking about them. And next month, I'm actually going to do um, an Instagram live while recording one of the episodes. And I'm just so excited about what we're all up to together. So go find us on BU Podcast and follow us and share with others. Thanks again. I so appreciate you all. And I'll be back with you in a couple of days.